You're listening to the Scotiabank Market Points Podcast. I'm your host, Greg White. Market Points is part of the Knowledge Capital series, a collection of audio, video, and written commentary from Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets leaders designed to provide you with timely insights and analysis. In June of 2020, Brexit has lost most, if not all, of its headline attention here in North America. But if the UK and the EU cannot agree to new trade terms by the end of this year, Britain will be faced with serious economic consequences. On this episode of Market Points, Scotiabank FX strategist Juan Manuel Herrera breaks down the current state of trade negotiations and explains how Brexit may diminish London's position and power as a global financial centre. Hi, Juan Manuel. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. The UK and the EU resumed trade negotiations this week, but with everything going on in the world, Brexit seems like a bit of an afterthought at the moment. So perhaps a good place to start would be with a timeline recap of Brexit, taking us up to where we are today. So the whole Brexit issue has been uh, around for quite a while. Uh, it somewhat clearly started in early 2013 when then Prime Minister David Cameron said that if a Conservative government were elected in the May 2015 general election, then he would seek to renegotiate the UK's membership within the EU to obtain more favorable terms. And then Britons would be allowed to vote on whether these terms were good enough to remain in the EU. So this became the pillar of his re-election campaign of appealing to Euroscepticism, especially on concerns that there was too much immigration from the EU. And it worked out for him as he won a majority in the 2015 election. Uh, in, 20, in 2016, then, uh, the UK negotiated certain concessions from the EU, but in the end, this wasn't enough. Uh, even with David Cameron supporting the Remain vote, uh, Britons were not convinced uh, to remain in the EU. And so in the summer of 2016, they voted to leave the EU. That's the, the famous referendum vote. Uh, and actually, the main proponent of this Brexit vote uh, was the current prime minister, Boris Johnson. Uh, so after the uh, referendum, Cameron resigned uh, due to the result, and then Theresa May took over, and she set up Britain's exit for March 2019. But then that was extended a couple of times as the EU and the UK negotiated the separation. And uh, in the meantime, she lost the support of Parliament, and she resigned. Uh, she gave way to Boris Johnson as leader of the party and prime minister. And then finally... The EU and the UK, they came to an agreement in October 2019 after you know, s- numerous rounds uh, of negotiations. And the UK's final day as an EU member after 47 years came on January 31st of 2020. So where are we now? Uh, the UK and the EU are in this transition period uh, to allow for preparations on certain aspects of the separation, uh, which the original date now is uh, December 31st of this year. Uh, but right now, for the most part, not much has changed yet. And what is especially important from an economic perspective is what happens to international trade since once, when the Brexit transition period ends at the end of this year, then the UK will no longer be part of the EU's customs union where there's no tariffs or trade barriers. So even after these negotiations conclude, the UK is going to have to negotiate new trade terms with every other country in the world. Yeah, that's exactly it. So n- not only are they would they lose access to uh, the European market uh, without tariffs or barriers, 
they also lose all these other trade agreements that the EU has signed with other countries. So say more recently, the, uh, the trade agreement that the EU has with Canada, they would no longer have access to that. And so they would have to renegotiate with Canada. And then uh, they would have to go their own way in negotiations with the U.S. or other major economies. So there's a lot at stake here to move this thing uh, quickly so they can get on with these other trade agreements. Uh, how are the negotiations going so far? So simply put, the trade negotiations have not gone well. So each side, they put forward a set of demands to reach an agreement on trade. And neither side is really willing to make any concessions. Uh, the negotiations started in March 2020 in person, but then the COVID-19 outbreak happened, uh, which obviously has led to the postponement of talks and generally very little progress being made once they, the talks resumed uh, via teleconference. Uh, so essentially what the UK wants is this Canada-style free trade agreement that means duty-free access on over 95%, 98% of goods traded in both directions. But those negotiations, they took seven years to complete from beginning to final signature. Of course, for the UK, it's very important that they guarantee smooth trade with the EU in goods and services, since the EU accounts for about 50% of total UK goods trade and around 45% in the case of services. But however, you know, despite this massive pressure on the UK, this massive economic pressure on the UK to reach an agreement with the EU on trade, there is a very low chance that they, that they would reach a deal. And now the issue is that the UK has stated that it will absolutely not request an extension to this transition period, which may be up to two years uh, based on what uh, the EU and the UK agreed when they finalized the, the exit agreement. Uh, and so that leaves about seven months from today for the EU and the UK to reach a deal, which is highly optimistic. And on top of that, it's even more worrying that the prime minister and his cabinet have said that if they see no material progress in negotiations by the end of this month, by the end of June, then they will simply cut negotiations short. And so the government will prepare for a no trade deal exit in 2021. And so right now we have trade discussions going on this week, ending on Thursday. Uh, so probably by the time this podcast goes out and they're not really expected to, to come to anything. And so ultimately, the, ultimately the risk of a uh, no trade deal exit is very high. And of course, with it comes a big shock to the UK economy. What are the barriers then that are preventing Europe from agreeing to a Canada-style free trade agreement with the UK? Well, first of all, there might be some things in the Canada-style free trade agreement that the EU would seek from the UK that the UK would not want. And, you know, and vice versa. Uh, but I think something that has to be considered in, uh, from the perspective of the EU is that when the EU negotiated uh, CETA with Canada, you know, Canada is not that large of a trading partner with the EU. Uh, so there's not this, this, this large of a concern for the EU to make sure that, you know, this is a bulletproof agreement that doesn't lead to any imbalances that could see, you know, some business, uh, um, you know, going further towards Canada or actually for Canada in the reverse direction. But for, in the case of the, U the UK, you know, the UK is the, the European Union's neighbor, right? It's, it's actually right next to Ireland, you know, north of France, Germany. So not only the economic link linkage is much larger, uh, they also share uh, you know, common fishing waters. Uh, so these are all issues that the EU doesn't have with Canada, but they do have with the UK. 
So obviously the proximity of the UK and its size, uh, it can pose a risk to the European economy. So the EU wants to make sure that they have a deal that's appropriate for the UK, right? So you can't just copy paste an agreement that you have with Canada uh, for the UK, which is a bigger trading partner that is closer to you and whose you know, exports uh, both in goods and services side are, are you know, somewhat different than they are uh, in the case of Canada. Um, and, and, and being part of the EU, you know, it, 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 you can get that free trade access, but you also have to give something back, right? Especially for Britain being so close to the EU. And so if you want, you know, free trade access to the EU in both directions, then maybe you have to, you know, think about contributing to the EU budget or allowing the free movement of people. So this full economic integration is part of the EU model. And you know, you essentially Britain can't have it, uh, you know, the ideal way. You can't have it, can have both its economic, uh, fiscal independence, uh, uh, immigration policy independence, and at the same time, you know, have the best part of the EU, which is really you know this free trade of goods and services. How has the pound been reacting to this lack of progress in the trade negotiations? So the pound has surprisingly fared quite well. Uh, and and this is this isn't unique to the pound. Uh, we've seen some broad dollar weakness now for for a few weeks, and the pound has benefited from this. As you know, as has the euro, as has the Japanese yen, as has the Canadian dollar. As and as you know, risk appetite comes back, and uh, markets are a bit more optimistic about uh, the reopening of the global economy. So the pound's being propped up on a short-term basis because of global conditions. Uh, but eventually, what's happening with the trade talks has to take its toll. How do you see the next seven months playing out? So first, we'll have to see whether the two teams decide to continue negotiations past this month. Um, there is still some hope uh, that the UK agrees to maybe extend talks for another couple of months. Um, you know, it's been reported uh, uh, that the EU Commission's uh, chief uh, von der Leyen will appeal to PM Johnson in the summit later this month to. To try to reach a compromise, uh, since the EU, of course, they also don't want to be impacted by a no trade deal Brexit. So, in the very short run, uh, there is some signs that negotiations will go on for a bit longer, and maybe they're getting closer to a deal, which you know, nevertheless, remains far, far away. Then there's a chance for for the pound to pick up a bit. Uh, but if if in the next couple of weeks we see there's really no chance that negotiations continue. That that means we're heading toward a no trade deal Brexit, and in that case, we should see the pound uh, weaken quite significantly and possibly, you know, drop below the 120 mark from you know around 125, 126 currently. Um, but you know, even in a situation where they do extend talks, I don't believe that it will make much of a difference. Uh, the EU and the UK remain too far apart on some key issues, and and they're not going to solve these via, you know, a couple of teleconference meetings. So um, ultimately, the pound is heading for a downturn once a no trade deal exit is uh, all but certain. What is the Bank of England thinking right now in terms of monetary policy? Then, as we head towards the end of the year, right. So if we see that there's a high chance of a no trade deal exit, uh, the Bank of England's hand would. You know, they would ultimately ultimately be forced into cutting rates 
the issue now is that the Bank of England's policy rate is, is at 0.1%. So it's at what it's been referred to as this, this lower bound for the policy rate. Like you can't go much lower than that. But of course, we've seen that many central banks around the world, you know, namely the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan have cut interest rates into negative territory. So that's where the Bank of England would probably follow. At the moment, we don't think that the Bank of England would, will cut into uh, negative territory, given where things stand, you know, if the status quo is maintained. But in a no trade deal situation, then, you know, there's there will be some severe pressure on the Bank of England to, to accommodate even more. So uh, cut rates into negative territory. It seems when you add all of this up, it looks like January 1st will come without a trade deal. So what framework will the UK and Europe operate under uh, if they can't come to terms with one another? Right. So if in the, in the situation where there is not a trade deal between the EU and the UK starting on January 1st, 2021, then the EU and the UK trade under World Trade Organization rules and tariff schedules. Uh, which means that, you know, certain items such as, for example, cars, they would go from facing a 0% tariff in trade with the EU to now facing a 10% tariff. Um, and, you know, this applies to many other goods. And it's not only the tariff side that's an issue, it's also the fact that, you know, European goods and UK goods would face inspection at, at the other uh, the other's borders. So that, you know, it, it can impact the productivity of certain industries as you know you have to wait for you know products to make it through through uh, ports or other ports of entry and so generally this will have you know, quite a significant impact on uk gdp in the long run there's government estimates that uh, put the cost of leaving the customs block and trading under wto rules and tariffs at around eight percent relative to pre-brexit trading arrangements uh, in the long term so that's about 15 years I mean, eight percent these days might sound small, you know, especially compared uh, with the the impact of COVID. But in the long run, this is it's quite a large impact for the for the UK to 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 separate from the EU without a trade arrangement. You would think the UK government took all of these economic consequences into consideration when planning for Brexit and came to the conclusion that this was going to be a net positive for their economy. What's your perspective on their long-term prospects? I think things look quite negatively for the UK. I mean, ultimately, it it will recover from it. I mean, the economy will adjust to to these barriers in trade with the EU, uh, not only in goods but also in services, such as in the financial sector. Uh, but overall, it, it this kind of does put the UK on a flatter, you know, GDP trajectory. Just given that you know all all the, the the barriers to to trade, they actually do impact productivity in the UK, and they do come with long run costs to the UK economy. You mentioned the financial services sector. What are the risks that are presented there? Right. So obviously, for the UK, London is a major part of uh, the UK's economy. The financial the financial services sector. So London is at risk of you know losing the status as financial hub of Europe uh, because there's EU regulation that forbids firms uh, you know from outside the EU from engaging in certain business with EU citizens from outside the customs union 
right? So UK banks would only be allowed uh, to deal with with customers inside the EU by establishing larger operations within the EU, right? So that means, of course, that you know if you have big operations in London, but a lot of these people can't, you know, actually do any business with the continent. Then what you do is you, you know, you shrink your workforce in London and relocate some to Dublin or Frankfurt or Paris or, you know. So now the issue with London is that they they may be granted this uh, equivalent status by the EU, which essentially says that UK uh, financial regulations are in line with those of the EU. And so UK banks would still be able to offer some type of direct access to customers in the EU, which is, you know, such as trading shares. Uh, but this wouldn't include basic banking, like managing deposits, which in itself is also, you know, quite a large source of revenue. So even if they're granted this equivalency status, then, you know, London still is losing from the separation from the EU. Uh, but in the in the near term, we might see uh, the EU uh, complete, you know, this equivalence review by the end of June, and so that could also lead to, you know, a near term boost to uh, the pound. If since this means that you know London will retain some of its its might as a financial capital. That was Juan Manuel Herrera, FX strategist at Scotiabank. You can find more thought-leading content from Scotiabank on our website at gbm.scotiabank.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at ScotiabankGBM, as well as our LinkedIn showcase page under Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets. Please refer to our legal disclosures on our website. Thanks for listening.